The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our podcast listeners to our ongoing series. Uh, for those of you who have been kind of following us online or offline, you know that we have put together a mini-series that's called Terms of Endearment. Basically what this is is part of an overall focus that we have on identity for eternity. We realize as we've been discussing uh, the topic of our identity in Christ or the exchange life or the union life or the abundant life, whatever your church group is used to calling it, we realize that most of the people sitting in the chairs or the pews or in their car listening to the podcast, that they don't understand the terms. They don't know how to explain what it means to have an old man. Or if they're born again, where the old man went. Do you realize that most Christians do not even realize or have an understanding of how to explain a born-again experience to someone else? So terms became a crisis for us in our series. There's a lot of assumptions on, on uh, I'll put myself in this position, a lot of assumptions that I had that you listeners were getting it. The fact is that most listeners have not been given the ability to explain terms. And so what we're doing is we're taking a section out of our uh, a series on identity and we're going to be talking about the terms. And I just thought it was cute to put the endearment part on there because I believe they are very dearing terms to our Lord and Savior and husband. Because these terms directly relate to something he has done, he is doing, or he's going to do. So this is number 73 of Identity for Eternity. Our new sub-series is classified or defined or termed as Terms of Endearment. And I'd like to have... Ian, why don't you come up and do the scripture reading? I need to have you come up here so you stand close to my microphone. (coughs) And read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. What shall we say then? Are you to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one, for one, who, has died has been, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Thank you, Ian. May the Lord bless his word. 
Okay, as you probably already know, particularly local listeners who are sitting here listening to this passage on Romans chapter 6, it is one of the most famous scriptural passages in defining the exchanged life. And so someone please read for me out loud again the verse in the passage that Ian just read that pretty much puts the nail into the casket and seals the lid of our death in Christ Jesus. Which verse is it? Romans 6 6 says what? Okay, one verse defines the entire exchange life out of every verse in the entire Bible. Now, I personally believe that every verse in the entire Bible is to lead to this one simple principle, and that is, hey, if you haven't been crucified with Christ, you're going to hell. Hey, if you've been crucified with Christ and you're still walking in the bondage of your old thinking that the old man's still alive, you need to embrace the truth and reality of what's being said in Romans chapter 6. Or you think you're saved and you're not saved and this passage is to show you the clarity of the decision of what happens Spiritually, once you become saved. So it helps us understand our future. Everything you read literally in the last chapter of the book of Revelation is a glorious statement of saying, here's your reward for everything that has to do with the fact that you have been crucified with your husband. You have been buried with your husband. You've been raised from the dead with your husband. You've ascended with your husband, Colossians 1, the first seven chapter of the first seven verses, where it talks about that we've been seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. And then Christ was hidden in God. You see, everything that you read, you pray about, you hear from the Spirit as you're walking through your day has to do with the exchange life. Everything hinges on this. How many times do you hear that preached in a day, a week, a month or a year or 10 years? It's a message that is disappearing with the saints of old. As someone was reading this morning a, a Watchman Nee quote, the thing I was thinking about is the price he had to pay to write these letters back home, which is what we're reading. By the time he was dead, he was considered a stump. They had taken everything off of him that they were able to take from him. I think of saints who have been tortured for speaking such profound truths and we read them like they're some kind of devotional books. And we forget the price tag that had to be paid for these powerful 
exchange life statements. Hudson Taylor is another classic example. People think he had this rosy life as a missionary. Are you kidding me? He came up with the term exchange life, but that's not really true because in the Greek, the term exchange is used for salvation. Paul clearly was saying what had to die, what had to be exchanged. I don't care what term you use, but I do care if you get it. And getting it is a part of your salvation. So let's talk about what it really looks to take God's role. Because those who have to play their little control freak thing are not going to get and embrace a true relational love life with their Savior and husband from within. Because they're more interested in taking the role of God the Father from Him that they're not able to comfortably enjoy the relationship with Jesus Christ. So a simple term to describe what the word defines as the number one problem in life. Mankind attempting to function as their own God in the lives of self, others, and even God. Seriously, how many times in your Christian life over the, just, just the past five years have you heard someone use the name of God like he's some kind of script writer for your Bible? Like God told me to divorce this man. Really? God told me, I heard several this week from a couple that blew my mind. That I'm counseling them. One was a gal saying that Jesus, I'm not coming out of that room until Jesus Christ tells me to come out of the room. I said, even if all the other scriptures tell you what to do, not to. This is what we're doing. We're throwing God's name around like he's writing the script for our Bible. And if we come across a passage that we don't like, well, it's too demonic for us to pick up a scissors and go to that passage and cut those verses out. And it's too embarrassing for us because when someone picks up our Bible and they see these old sections cut out by scissors, they're going to go, why did you cut those out? Well, I deem them not the word of God. That was the translation of man for the word. So I cut them out. No, they're not going to say that. They'll, they'll, they'll literally melt in their embarrassment. That's too overt that I'm God. So what do they do? They go get a translation that is saying what they want it to say. You say translations are not important? Really? Then why in the world is NIV going after a, a dog-friendly version? Why? Why are they working on a contract with PETA? Why did they come out with a gender-friendly Bible? And why are they working on a homosexual Bible? Why these social issues and trying to get the Word of God to, to wrap itself around the social issues? This is the reason. 
So for someone to come along and say, well, my pastor is a homosexual pastor and blah, blah, blah. And you think I'm going to sit under that person and, and learn of whatever Bible they have in their hands? I'm not impressed when someone opens their Bible. Even when he was reading out the Bible, I had to stop and go, okay, now what translation is he reading from? Oh, yeah, ASV. That is ASV, right? ESV, I mean. I went, yeah, okay. That's important for me. You people who are listening out there and you think because your pastor has got a Bible open in front of you and he's quoting from this Bible, that does not mean that it is the authentic word. It could have been messed with, translated, or literally melted around a social issue. You're going to be hearing more and more about that. The translators are on what they call a translator fast right now. You will not see anyone come out with a translation for a while. Because it's a huge issue. There's guys like me running around saying, Watch out, body of Christ. Watch out, body of Christ. So they're backing off a bit. But they'll be back. And they will wrap the Word of God around their social issues. They're literally taking... What God originally said, cutting out things that they don't want in there, and they're putting things in its place they do want in there. Taking the role of God. This includes suffering with divorce, suicide, eating problems, depression, or any common problem with the self-life. Well, instead of going to God and saying, God, I have this eating disorder, I need your deliverance, I need the truth that'll set me free. We run off and get some kind of half quirk medical advice or whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying we should not use medical people. I'm just saying there are people who run to these solutions before hearing God and what it is that's happening to their body. That's the first thing he wants us to do. Then he may integrate medical things or natural things or whatever the case may be. Most of the time it falls under the category of what we call Godship. Finding ways to fix a fix that God has fixed on you to stop fixing life through self-effort. Our ministry has learned that the act of playing God helps us to identify the real problem in each of our lives to whom we reach out to. We have also learned that the most common consequence of this Godship is rejecting people or rejecting yourself. So if you approach someone, which I've done this week, an absolute statement beyond Godship is when this gal said what she said, I addressed it. What kind of response do you think I got? Not a favorable one. She said, look at me. I was having a hard time getting contact you know, her connecting in the soul for several weeks, but she said, look at me. That is not going to happen. It's rejection. 
She she does she does did not care what the word had to say about the topic. She had determined this is what she's doing. She attached Jesus' name to it, and until she says she heard Jesus, the scripture is not relevant. And this is not a habit she has. This is a habit we have. Every single one of us. Here's some questions we're going to hopefully find some answers to today. What does it mean to be baptized into Christ? What is the key word that you see in that question? Into. Not baptized by Christ, not baptized like Christ, not baptized by anything else than into. Into means that I am being taken out of one thing and put into another. I need to tell you right now before we even get into the definition. In order for you to be taken out of one thing and put into another, it's going to require a baptism. So thus there's three kinds of baptisms for the believer. Someone want to list those for us? Baptism of water. Fire. Keep them in order. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of Spirit. And baptism of fire. I will talk about exactly what that means. And the second question is, why is water baptism so important? There's a lot, a lot of emphasis put upon water baptism. Do you hear baptism of fire preached on very often? The earth has got to go through all three baptisms. Water is. Spirit is. And fire is. Into the outer darkness. Nothing God created will escape the three baptisms. So of course there's not going to be much preaching on the fire one. Those who do not receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ get baptized by fire and never get to go into. Are you with me? Baptism of fire stops and it never purifies you. It's called the pit of hell. Oh yeah, definitions of terms are pretty important. What are the two forms of birth? We're going to talk about that. What is so significant about the blood of Jesus? You know, in that scene in the movie that, you know, I know even my own wife says, yeah, we've seen enough of those scenes out of the passion with your love. <laughs> well, there's, the scenes I pick are very important to me. So our latest resurrection you know, piece that we put together there's a scene where the soldier takes the spear and he pierces Jesus' side to see if the separation of water and blood, right? Which is very significant. Pulls the spear out and that blood and water sprays on him. Remember? If you've seen the movie. What happens to this poor soldier? He drops to his knees immediately. And is cleansed. The belief didn't start with a choice in his mind. 
That's called door-knocking salvation. It wasn't an intellectual decision for him. When that water and blood hit him, it washed him of his sins. Instantly, he was exchanged without a word that came out of his mouth. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. What is this, the difference between body of man, body of sin, body of Christ? we got to talk about that. Huge difference. How does one become the bride of Christ? There's more and more and more, according to what I found on the internet this week. I know it sounds like I'm kind of a Google nut, but most of you here understand that the relationships I do have with, with particularly one guy within Google is for the purpose of salvation. And I will take advantage of technology as long as I can until it tortures faith and then I'll drop it. That's my philosophy of using technology. And so I do find out a lot. It is instant information, but it also gives me access to I go to the source, whoever put it on the internet, try to get a dialogue going. And so that's how I do that. And so in finding Bride of Christ five, six years ago when I Googled it and the little number of you know things, websites, whatever, people that are using that term, massive difference. Today, the term Bride of Christ is being used more and more and more. That's good news. But it's also opportunity for the devil to twist these beliefs. We need to talk about it. What does, the, what does brokenness truly look like? Because you can't have any of it without brokenness. There is in Scripture a very clear Old Testament, New Testament statement that is made about something that was not going to happen to Jesus on the cross, which traditionally always happens to someone on the cross. There's a statement in the Old Testament and the New Testament of something that was not going to happen to Jesus while he was being tortured for the cross. Which is very important to happen to anyone who was going to the cross. So there's tortures that happen before you go to the cross. Then there's additional tortures that happen while you're hanging on the cross. What is this thing that is said will never happen? Huh? So, if you remember from the movie clip, and I put that one in there as well, when the thunder starts happening and the earth starts shaking, the soldiers pick up these big sledgehammers, and what do they go to do? They break the legs. Well, they would have broken their legs anyway. But this was supposedly to speed things up because, you know, obviously what was happening. And when they collapse, they can't hold themselves up to get any more air. So then they suffocate. It's the last measurement of torture. Jesus, they did not touch his kneecaps. They think it's because he was dead already. But I'll tell you what, the reason was is because God said no. You're not breaking a single bone in his body. You see, the brokenness did not happen as traditionally as it does to man. His brokenness was he became literally sin on our behalf. 
and the torture from the garden forward of knowing he would have to literally become the old nature of man so that our passage today could be real. The old man has been crucified with Christ. That's the brokenness he had to embrace. That was far beyond broken kneecaps. We'll talk about that too. So identity and terms of endearment are very, very important. That's why we need to do this mini-series. We left off, those of you who are just joining us for the first time, you need to understand that as you uh, go to our library, which is on our home page, you need to look at what number this is. Because terms of endearment, this is number two in that series, which means we are under the letter B. So baptism, water, spirit, fire. Romans 6, three says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? So how does the truth and the reality of Christ living in you really sustain truth? We had to be baptized into Christ in order to be baptized into his death, in order to say, my old man has been crucified. And even what I just said has confused many people that, have, that are listening, particularly my Muslim listeners. This is the toughest thing for you guys to get. The simple fact of how does this Jesus Christ, who these Christians are saying, is God? Who these Christians are saying is the Son of God. And now they say he actually lives inside them. That they somehow were there on the cross with him. They somehow were in the tomb with him. They somehow resurrected with him. These Christians are nuts. It is too much for a human to understand unless the Spirit of Christ lives inside you to be able to give you that understanding. So my dear Muslim friends, if you don't know how much I love you, then you don't know me yet. I have a great love for you Muslim people because you are so close to understanding truth because you are constantly seeking it from a twisted version of our Bible. Those are always the easiest to minister to. Those who have come up with different forms and very creative Bibles on their own, they're the toughest groups because our scriptures don't match them at all. Whereas Muslims are using a Koran, which is a twisted version of our Bible. So when we untwist things, we get deeper and richer understanding. But that's going to take the spirit of the living God to give that to you. Please call me or text me about that. That's 602-292-2982. I'd love to dialogue with you and explain this to you. So, baptism. Just as it is with the earth, three baptisms are offered to all of humanity. The earth's water baptism is, was the flood. Its spirit baptism was the first coming of our Lord. And the earth's fire baptism will be the burning of it 
stated in Revelation 8-7. For those who are unsaved and never have become born again, they will only go through one baptism. Now I'll say it again. Those who have never become born again, they've never received the indwelling life of, of Jesus Christ, you will go through one baptism. Now, you may go through two if you grew up in a church in infant baptism, for example. There are many churches that are pulling away from that doctrine because they know it's just about as stupid as you can get. Because you can't be saved by water, you have to be saved by spirit. But because of fear of man that developed in an old, old church called the Catholic Church, they started baptizing children so that they could secure their salvation before they started to sin. To that I call stupidity. Salvation only is through Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So whatever religion that you are a part of that believes in infant baptism, I'm telling you that it will lead into a twisted way of functioning, ultimately that you will have tons of people walking the earth who think they're saved because they went through infant <coughs> baptism. Even Catholics know that you're saved through salvation, that you're saved through uh, baptism. So why not get our kids baptized? The second group is those who've been sitting in a pew for so long and it comes to, you know, the annual baptism or quarterly baptism time and, and your, your father looks over at you and says, this is your time, son. You've never been baptized. And so the kid's got to get his name on the list of being baptized. He's never had a born-again experience, so he gets baptized at 14 years of age. Of course, he's saved then, right? Do you understand what we've done? We have got millions of people walking around on the face of the earth who believe that they are Christians because they've had water poured over them or their head held under or whatever the case may be, and they're still going to hell. Great venue of deception, Satan. Well done. That is not true salvation. Baptism is what takes us into. It can also take us into deception. You can be baptized into darkness. Because that kid, that 14-year-old, will probably spend the rest of his life saying, Well, you know, I did get saved. Really? When was that exactly? Well, our church was doing holy, you know, uh, baptisms. And, you know, I went in, baptized, and I, I, I proclaimed with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then you went under. When did you get saved? When the water dripped off your face or... When was this moment? And then they're offended. Because you're questioning their salvation. And then they say, you're judging me. I've been in ministry over 40 years and I cannot tell you how many times I have been psychologically slapped in the face because I am double checking someone's salvation story. Most, I will tell you, never come back and talk to you again. 
Because you've questioned the most sanctity or sanctifying moment in their life. And the truth is, that is why I'm questioning it. And most come back to a point of some holy thing the church does that proves that you're saved. Some it's catechism, graduation from it actually. Some it's baptism. Some it's whatever. But is it proof? You want to know why we have our third baptism, believers? Listeners, listen to me very carefully. My number is 602-292-2982. This is going to harass the foundation of what you're standing on if you think you're saved and you're really not. But I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it right now and I want you to listen very, very carefully. Unless there was a moment in your life when there was a great exchange from death to life because of a decision the Holy Spirit made. Not your pastor, not your husband, not your father, not your mother. Not guilt you had because the pastor was talking about some kind of sin that led you to the front of your church. Salvation is a decision of Jesus Christ saying, Yes, Father, I hear you. This one has been chosen. And the Spirit moves and transforms you like blood being sprayed on your face. That's salvation. You always know if someone's saved if they can't shut their mouth about their husband. Don't ever forget that. Here's the test of you people who say you're saved. And I'll throw myself into that category because I'm not afraid to say I'm saved. I'm not afraid to say I'm born again. I'm not afraid to say if I've inherited the life of Christ. But you know what? There's still one more baptism for me. What is it? I've had water. Been baptized so many times in water, I can't tell you which one really stuck. Then I have that baptism of spirit. Believe me, I've been baptized in the spirit. But there's one, one more. Four proofs of salvation. What are they? Listeners, listen very carefully to what this audience is about to say. Four proofs of salvation. What are they? You shall know them by their love. You shall know them by their fruit. You shall know them by their deeds. And the fourth is the most difficult one to embrace. Those who endure to the end, comma, those shall be saved. That's baptism of fire. You can rattle off to me all day long, listener, that you've been born again, that you've received the life of Jesus Christ, that the power of the Holy Spirit is living inside you, and I have no other reason but to believe you. But you know what? We'll see. So I'm not a believer in insecurity of salvation that you have it one day and don't the next. Oh, I believe those who really are indwelt by the life of Christ will endure to the end. 
one of our friends has one of the largest churches in the world, actually. Uh, we kind of got one of his churches started in Phoenix, and he's good friends with John MacArthur. And John asked him, while he was suffering cancer, staying in his home, he asked him a very simple question. If you want a copy of what I'm about to tell you out of the mouth of the the source, let me know. Just call me on that number I keep rattling off or email me and I'll send you an MP3 of this testimony. But this gentleman who has a massive audience on the radio, has a massive audience in branches of churches he has started and so forth. And here John MacArthur is saying, you know, I'm really wondering, buddy, if you're truly saved. Now, can you imagine being of the category of having one of the largest churches in the world and to hear your mentor ask you or question your salvation? And then he gave him the reason why he questions his salvation. Now, I have never forgotten the testimony. And I include certain things in my messages every single week because of his testimony. Who was our pastor? And John didn't even, wouldn't even let him respond on the spot. He says, you need to go away and pray about this. And he wrestled for a week with this question. And then he came out. We were doing satellite because he lived in Chicago. We were in Phoenix. So we had a satellite broadcast that we were listening to the message. And he came out and he said, what, Jane? Here today I'm telling you, your pastor is saved. This is no rookie. This is no young lad in the ministry. I can't tell you the honor I have for him and the honor I have for John MacArthur. I don't care if we agree line for line theologically or not. I cannot tell you the honor I have for these two men because they do not assume anything when it comes to the baptisms. And he was there at John's home in their guest house suffering cancer. And John knew this was the moment this is a baptism of fire moment to have him double check with his God and his Savior if he's made the exchange. That's the kind of man I want to follow. Although many go through one baptism, no, although many unsaved Insert the water baptism as a ritual rather than the testimony of their, their salvation and being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. The born again, on the other hand, into all Christians, is strongly encouraged to be water baptized as a testimony of that salvation. And then shortly after their spirit baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit into their mortal bodies and being baptized into Christ. When you are baptized in spirit, you are baptized into the bucket, the life, the body of Jesus. 
Those of you who just cannot get what I just said, I'm just asking you to pray daily for the Spirit to speak to you. To grant you wisdom and understanding of what was just said. Receiving the Holy Spirit into their mortal bodies and being baptized into Christ. Which comes out of Romans 6, 3. The indwell Christians, fire, baptism, purification, entails the trials and sufferings while waiting to join their Savior and husband in heaven. Recently, there was a political persecution done by a pilot. How did he die? It was on the news everywhere. One of the most broadcasted persecutions in the history of mankind. He was not beheaded. He was burned alive in a cage. The part that the news didn't bring out is what he believed. They just don't like letting that hit the news. I don't care if it's American or Israeli. Or, they don't like Jesus Christ's name stated. One of the key doctrines that true indwell believers believe in is baptism by fire. <laughs> it's just Americans that don't talk about it much. I don't know about the Canadians. We just don't hear about it much. But here's our enemy who understands this doctrine. Oh, you want to be purified by fire? Allow us to demonstrate this to the entire world. So they built a gorilla cage. Put him out in the middle of public square. Torched him with, with, with petroleum. And then did the rattling off of their anti-Allah stuff. And then light him on fire. Let's see if this boy gets baptized into purification. No, if they wanted to purify him, they would have beheaded him. This was a mockery. Government officials, a few that I do have following our podcast, listen very carefully. This was a mockery of Christianity, a belief of baptism of fire. Our next one is birth, first and second. Colossians 3.3 3 says, You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the first birth is a physical and comes by way of being born of woman. The second birth offered to us is called born again, which is out of John 3.3. 3. Being born again is the experience of salvation, being regenerated and connected to God. It's kind of like the, a generator. Unsaved people, the generator's off. Once you receive the life the power, the source to live, it's just like God just reaches down and plugs the generator back in. You're generated. You now have life source again. This is accomplished by the old nature, old man being crucified with Christ, as we learned about in Galatians 2.20. And the first birth places us in Adam. The second birth places us in Christ. So those of you who have been born into Adam and you've not had a powerful exchange at a moment in time, nobody grows up Christian. Well, I take that back. 
there may be millions of people that grow up Christian to be followers of Christ. But to be an indwell Christian, that's a different story. So Jess, what's the difference between Christian and indwell Christian? So online listeners, listen very carefully to this. So it's an external following. A doing versus being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and him doing the living and doing the You're following inwardly. It's kind of like those who pray and they're constantly looking at the ceiling panels. I'm not making fun of you because I was there for many, many, many years. One of my dad's fathers prays with his eyes open. He's getting ready to be brought home by the Lord. Well, I just, we asked Jess, I don't know, several weeks ago, what are you going to remember most about Elvis? And you said, praying with his eyes open. He doesn't look to ceiling panels. He doesn't try to close his eyes to get in touch and stay focused with the power of the Lord. He just talks. That's how I like to do it. If you had a video camera on me as I was dealing with the Lord through the week, you'd go, that, that guy's just nuts. I expect Christ to be who he says he is to be in and around me. I expect it. Not by performance, just because he said so. So why do I turn it into this holy ritual, how I hold my hands? Or It's like, really? He's your husband. Sit down and have a cup of coffee with him. No, drinking coffee is not a sin. You see what we do in our relationships, and particularly the relationship with Jesus Christ. He laughs with you. He cries with you. When I carry the burden of the persecuted, sometimes I feel him touch me. It's going to be all right. I will be there with them. Some Muslims torture me by sending me pictures, videos, and I do watch them. I do look, because my brothers and sisters, there's no difference to Jesus in me watching that eight-year-old girl lose her head and watching my eight-year-old granddaughter lose her head. There's no difference. And so, he feels all of that. He, he's transcendent. He's everywhere. He's, he's there with and in that eight-year-old as she's born again. And he's with and in me. He feels the pain. He feels the sorrow. He feels the moment. He's been there before. And that's a burden that's been put on me as a believer. He's real. I don't need to talk to ceiling panels. Blood, Christ in man. The blood of Christ is the washing element of our redemption, salvation. It is in and through the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross by shedding his innocent blood that we have redemption 
forgiveness and salvation, which is made real to us by his everlasting grace, Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just what's my favorite scene in the movie Passion? Exactly. That scene is in our latest movie clip as well. She's drawn to the cross. This is the mother of Jesus. And she kisses his feet. All of that blood is draining downward. And it's pooled up on his feet. Whatever artist figured that out for this piece of the movie, I commend you. And then Mary kisses her son's feet and gets blood all over her face. I break down in tears every time I see it. There's power in the blood. It's cleansing and it draws us near to the cross, not fear the cross. It draws us near to the cross. So when I see a young sister's blood being let out because of some demonic reason, I look at the godly reason of that, that blood that she's shedding for her faith. It's the same of Christ shedding it. Because we're one in Christ. There's no difference to the Father. And for us Americans, or whatever country you're from, to just go through life thinking those poor suckers that have got to die for their, their faith. I'm like, really? What we see in the Middle East will become our daily burden very soon. The Antichrist despises you. And the fact that you say that Christ, whom he hates, he doesn't hate God. He hates Christ. He's after Christ, Jesus. So to have his name removed from society, which he's doing a pretty good job, totally makes sense to me. In order for the blood... <clears throat> In order for the blood to be redemptive and cleansing, it must be free of sin. Did Jesus have sin in his blood? No. No. As was the single case of Jesus, man's blood became defiled, filled with sin, as a result of the seed of Adam. Why are we born into sin and our children will be born into sin? Our great-grandchildren will be born into sin because there's sin inside of us. Jesus doesn't and did not have sin inside of his body because the seed came directly from God. That's why it happened that way. It wasn't for the Catholic Church to say that, that Mary was holy. It wasn't to make her the greatest saint of all. It had nothing to do with that. God put his perfect, holy, sinless seed of righteousness inside Mary so there would be a complete separation. Therefore, Christ was born without sin in his mortal body. Sorry, Catholics, if you do a little history on your own history, 
you'll realize that. And there was a certain theologian in your history that refused to accept what I just said. So he twisted it up. And that wasn't until 1317. 1317 did that doctrine arrive in the Catholic Church. Bummer, folks. Let's take a look at the next one. Body. Body of man, body of sin, body of Christ. Born of woman is the first form of body. It is by being born of woman that the body of sin is introduced to us. Because of what I just shared with you. Right? Okay. So the body of sin is given to us through the defiled seed of man. This is what made us unsaved and unregenerated and gave us an old man or old nature. This is also why our old self had to be crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with in order that we would be no longer be slaves to sin, which is Romans 6, 6. So we had to be taken out of, baptized out of, into a different body. And the church is now called the body of Christ. You see, everything about the born-again experience is exchanged-oriented. It's a moment-oriented. It's, it's being plucked out, put in. In order to get to the end, too, there has to be a baptism involved. We well, see, Jesus isn't worried about all of you who are running around saying you're, you're Christians because you follow the doctrines of Jesus. Well, that's kind of stupid if you ask me, and forgive my terminology, but the word stupid is one of the words we're going to be covering in our dictionary because God uses it in the word. Stupid is someone who knows the truth, but they believe something of deception. That's a stupid person. He's not insulting the person, he's insulting an action. Satan is stupid. He knows the truth. He knows that Jesus Christ is God's son. Contrary to a lot of my Muslim friends. He knows that he's God. He knows that no one's going to take his place. He knows that God the Father is, for whatever his reason, is handing over every title he's ever had to his son. He knows this. But how stupid is he? He continues to deceive and twist the profound doctrines of Jesus Christ. That's stupid. 602, 292, This was possible because the seed placed in Mary came directly from God through the Holy Spirit. Sin travels through the seed, not through blood. Therefore, Christ could be born of a normal human woman, normal. There was nothing special about Mary outside of the fact that she came from the lineage of David. That did make her special. Therefore, Christ could be born of a normal human woman without having sin passed into his mortal body. Today, we know through science that the mother's blood never mixes with her baby. 
Now that's way beyond good science. Sorry. As a man who didn't think about those things to realize and read and know that the mother's blood never mixes with the baby inside of her? And then tie it in with this doctrine? I can't even tell you what that did to me. Well, you see, back in 1317, they didn't understand that. So they had to purify and make Mary something really, 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 really holy. Holy Mother of Mary. Because they didn't understand science. Of course they didn't. Man always figures things out a thousand years after God says it. It's a big delay in there. We're just now starting to figure out things that God said back in Ezekiel. You know, how many thousands of years is that? Because we tend to be stupid. Our flesh, our sin, makes us stupid. Insulting myself here and everyone else who has flesh. Sin, we covered that. Now, the next one, bride, bride of Christ. This is a mysterious one. Human marriages are the physical representation of the marriage of the Lamb to the Bride of Christ, the indwelt believer, which is Revelation 19.7, Revelation 21.9, Revelation 22.17. Interesting thing is, is if you have an online Bible and you Google, lack of a better term, the word Bride of Christ, what you're basically going to find is that this term is mostly used in the book of Revelation. As some of you know, I've written an entire book on this called Faithful Father and the Bride of Christ. And it's transferring basically what is true about God the Father now down to us as the body of Christ. See, my wife is everything that I stand for. Good, bad, and indifferent. She doesn't have a separate identity. I share this with a couple of my Muslim, can't say friends, but people I reach out to, and they totally understand what I'm about to say. We're here in America, most Christians don't even understand this. And that is, there's no such thing as a female identity in their culture. Doesn't exist. So I can do several different sermons just on the abuse of women in the Muslim Islamic nation. And American women get all upset over hearing how they're treated. It's kind of like the stupid Americans, me being one of them up to recently until I did my actual research, is really believing that there's extremist Muslims and there are peaceful Muslims. And to come to realize by, by getting to know their people, some of them by asking direct questions to them, is that they're just being obedient. That it's actually stated in their scriptures of how they're to treat Jews and Christians. They're just obedient. And they view us Christians as sloppy. Not even knowing what our Bible believes. And you, you know to that I say to you Muslims that are listening. You are right on. Our Christians are ignorant. They're fearful. They're afraid to get to know the Bible because they're afraid they'll have to be obedient because they'll be classified as a radical Christian. I am radical Christian. 
You see, the difference between an emergent believer is one who follows Jesus because he's a loving Jesus. Really, I can think of and state a lot of things stated in the scriptures that doesn't show Jesus very loving. Like sending 90% of the people to hell. Hmm. That's a big one. That's love. Well, we're going to be covering the answers to a lot of these curious questions, but you kind of, kind of, you do have to stay with me in the series. So, men are the represent. Men are to represent Christ's headship over the church, as heads of home in and through their marriages. Women are to reveal the practical workings of the bride of Christ through their acts of serving their husbands, children, and community. If you think that people out there are to learn about what it looks like to be the bride of Christ by looking at me as a pastor or Shannon as a husband, you'll never get it. In fact, you'll be disappointed all the time. You'll be waiting for them to fail. The public is to learn what the bride of Christ is and how they're supposed to function by watching women with their husbands. That's how they're supposed to learn. They're supposed to learn out there how Christ handles the community and the church and leadership and whatever by watching pastors and husbands of homes. No, but we've turned our male pastors into this this fluid little feminine image and it's twisting us up big time. And women are becoming more masculine, more leadership oriented. We Americans demand more female rights that we are completely turning the church emergent because of it. How many men do you see running around claiming they're masculine rights. It's kind of like you black people, and believe me, I have a lot of friends that are pure black by culture and skin. But I'm here to tell you that having a black month is fruitless. Having a black American day is fruitless. And all these rights that we demand, the first black person to be a CEO and the first black person to be president, whatever, God's not impressed because he doesn't care. What he cares about is the heart of every person, no matter what their skin color. But what do we do? And we Americans are leaders in this. I sound so anti-American. It's probably because I am. What I do support is not America. I support the structure and the foundation of the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, no matter what country you're living in. But we Americans have set out an example of what it looks like for females to demand their rights. Have you seen a lot of success in the news with that? Anyone who demands their right always gets a wrong. I was reading an article yesterday just for the fun of it and how violent the percentage of how violent the peacekeepers are. They're throwing gas bombs and, they're, and, and I look and see what the, their cause is for peace of Ireland or the peace of... I'm like, 
Really? You're burning people to death because you're peaceful? Protesters are the most violent people in the entire world, and that includes Christians. That's a fact. Any someone who, any, anyone who is truly a person of peace is willing to be persecuted for it. Having a finger at a time taken off. And you're still silent before your enemy. You still refuse to open your mouth with bitterness and anger and resentment. That's why I carry a love and passion for those Christians who are silent. Not mouthy. And arrogantly proclaiming their rights. Like what good is that when they're losing an artery at a time? What are their rights doing for them now? Shame on any culture who demands their rights. Brokenness is a term frequently used to describe the state of mind that a believer is to is in shortly before they embrace the truths of being brought to the end of their self-life. You know when you're a kid and your brother or sister is wrestling with you and they got the best of you, something has to roll out of your mouth, and that's typically what? Uncle. Uncle. I don't know if it all started because some, some he-man uncle that was constantly saving his nephews, but, you know, uncle, uncle, is basically saying, I'm broken. I'm done. I'm finished. I can't take any more. That's the concept, though, that's being presented here. Before you really get let loose of that Godship, our opening statement, before you let go of, I am God and I will determine what mankind and politics should believe or whatever. Before you let go of that, you have to be broken. So if you have a culture, if you have a nation, if you have a community, if you have a church, if you have a person sitting inside that church who is arrogantly demanding their rights, they got to be broken. Because what does it matter when you're losing an artery at a time? Demand your rights. Demand your amendments. What does it matter? It's in that moment I want to leave this ground to higher ground and hear the Lord say, Faithful are you, my son. You believe to the very end. And yeah, I may sound judgmental and radical from time to time on things that I believe, but the purpose behind all of it is nothing more than I serve Jesus Christ and him alone who is my husband. I am the bride of Christ, not a man to usurp authority over him. I'm the bride. You're the bride. We're to keep our mouth shut and learn from our groom. Not tell him what we want to believe. Brokenness communicates a loss of will and identity in one's own self. Resulting in a dependence on Christ from within and our identity. 
which reminds of, uh, of us of our identity statement today. Knowing the definition of terms opens the door in a deeper understanding for the appropriation of the indwelling life of Christ. Those of our podcast listeners who tend to listen to this as they're traveling to work, coming home, or you are removed from your computer, I want to encourage you to get to your computer as soon as you can. Go to our homepage, which is iomamerica.org, and you'll see on the homepage a library, and the latest message You'll see two little icons there. One's going to be a PDF icon. The other one's going to be a microphone. However you got to this audio is great. But I need to have you download that publication. It's the very slideshow we used this morning. That gives you a lot of the details and scriptures you can look up. And please do that so that you can literally study what we have talked about this morning. It is in the resting in Jesus and what he says to be true about us that grants us understanding the terms he uses to define our daily existence. Once this is done, we then can let him live and do the work which makes the complete and the spiritual difference in our lives. Whenever you speak through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, A new power will flow from you. A power that will reveal the indwelling life of Christ. I'm not one that promotes speaking in tongues, but I am one who has spoken in tongues many times. I don't believe in promoting any kind of spiritual gift over the other. I believe in releasing the Holy Spirit to do, think, function, talk, in whatever way that Jesus decides for the Holy Spirit to do in you and in me. And if you're all bunched up and you just can't let the Spirit be released in you, you're probably believing lies that the enemy is twisted into your mind from birth. Please take this study seriously on the terms of endearment. And it's going to take us quite a few sermons, podcast lessons to get through A to Z. Because even in some of our terms, there are going to be many sermons, like the power of the cross, when we get to that. So we have a lot of great fun things coming up here uh, to help us communicate the free and truths of who we are in Christ. So we hope you join us for past, present, and even future podcasts on the identity messages of Jesus Christ. Thank you, online listeners, for listening today. We're going to turn the podcast off so that we can go to our local questioning and answering. But if you do have a question that needs an answer, I would certainly be willing to dialogue with you through the scriptures to come up with an answer for you. Please log on to the website address that's coming up next. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.